That story is the scripture that we're supposed to look at. Churches all across the world are looking at this morning. And on Tuesday of this week, I met with a group of ministers at a, what, what we call the text study, where we study the text of the week and talk about this. And we studied that very parable of Jesus. The wedding party of the king's son and the fact that some did and didn't come and some wouldn't come and someone got thrown out. And there was a diverse crowd sitting in that room around that table. And we really struggled with that particular chapter, that particular story. There were people sitting at that table who said, I cannot believe that Jesus actually said that. And therefore, I just cast it aside. I'm like, what? Isn't all scripture God-breathed and useful for teaching and instruction? I mean, isn't that what we looked at this morning in our Sunday school class? But literally, this person said, no, I don't like those words. I'm tossing them out. There were other people who said, well, maybe we're just not understanding the actual intent of the original language. And since we don't speak that original language, we don't have an exact, correct um, interpretation of this. And there's actually a man sitting there who's a Greek scholar. He said, does anybody have it in Greek present right now? I could tell you exactly what these words mean. And no one had. And he normally would bring his Greek text, but he just didn't that day. And so we really struggled with this. Well... The, the, the time ended. We're only meet for an hour each week. And so the time ended, and then I was left to chew on this for the rest of the week. And the thing that I was intrigued by, and what you see on the screen in front of you, was a picture. And that's this picture here. Um, Dakota, can I ask a favor? Can yeah. you be? Yes, sir. Oh, that's right. Dakotas, come on in. Come on up. Yeah, that'll make it faster. Um, I only made 20 of these, and I think there's more than 20 adults, so you may have to share. But uh, <coughs> in my household, we have a piece of framed art that we got when we lived in England. It's called The Broad and Narrow Way. And it's a lithograph that we bought at a poster at, a, at an art shop in England and had it framed, and I love it, and I look at it all the time. And what I did was, on the one side of this sheet that I'm handing out to you, is the full picture. And it's difficult to see. Oh, I, I don't need any. If, if there's still people that would like some, pass them out. Uh, it, 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 it's difficult to see the whole picture, but on the one side you have the whole picture. <laughs> on the other side you have... Um, and if you didn't get a card stock piece of paper, you didn't get one of the originals. Sorry. Um, on the other side, there's, a, there's actually an inset of, of the picture itself, and it's, it's a blow-up, if you will. So first of all, let's look at the side with the, the full picture, and you'll notice on that, and I can't show it to you on the screen, unfortunately, it just was, our, our screen is too small to, to show you that whole thing with any great detail. But you'll notice in that picture, there are two pathways. There's a broad pathway, there's a narrow pathway. Okay, on the left-hand side of the picture, there's the broad way, and it winds back towards a place of destruction. And then on the right-hand side of the lithograph, there's a narrow picture, narrow path, that flows up into the mountains and ends up in heaven. And this 
picture, this whole lithograph, is based on Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, which says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is a teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I tried that, Craig. Unfortunately, that, that laser thing won't show on the screen of the TV. I tried it last this morning when I was thinking I'd show it to you. But um, this particular passage in Matthew, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous, well-known teachings of Jesus. And Jesus himself is credited with saying, there is a very narrow pathway to find God. And it's not easy to get to, and not many people choose it. And you see, that's hard teaching. Because in our humanity, we want everyone to get to the party. We want everyone to enjoy heaven. But we're told in the word of God that that's not what's going to happen. And it's not that God is blocking anyone. It's that people choose not to take the offer that's made to them. And see, especially in our Western culture, especially in the Alaskan culture of don't tell me what I can't do, especially in the Two Rivers culture of, oh no, I don't think so. You will never cross that path with me because I'll just shoot you and bury you where no one will ever find you. Sorry, Two Rivers people, but I'm one of you. I believe that that's some of the attitude that you find in the deepest, darkest jungles of some of those side roads. (laughs) We won't mention which ones. But as I've chewed on this and, and meditated on it, it's been with me all week. There's this one section of this picture that's on the screen and it's on the back of the sheet that you have and it's a blow up of the big picture. And I have focused on this one section throughout the week. And I've entitled my sermon, The Chasm. What is a chasm? A giant gaping hole. Okay. What happens when you come to a chasm and you're walking or hiking? Or... Sometimes I would, I would venture that most times if I come to a chasm, I'm not going to try and get over it. Um, maybe go around it, try and find a way down and back up again. But, but it's a barrier from where you are to where you would like to get. Now, again, because I can't use the, 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 the uh, laser pointer, on your picture that you have in front of you, you'll see from this little tent, there's behind it the beginnings of a small chasm, and it's just a little narrow gully. And the artist has then made it deeper and wider and deeper and wider until literally it is this huge gap towards the end. And 
I, I understand this is one human being's interpretation of Scripture through their art. But there is truth to this. Because if you will go to, and you don't have to turn to this, but if you just want to um, write down some verses as I go through them, Luke chapter 16 talks about a man named Abraham, excuse me, a, a rich man and a man named Lazarus. And it says both of them died on the same night. The rich man ended up in Sheol, or, or the place of the dead, or Hades, or the place of torment. And Lazarus was taken by the angels into the bosom of Abraham, into the presence of God. And he was receiving a, a heavenly reward. And it says that the person that was in torment, the rich man, who had lived a foolish life, was crying out for just even a drop of water to cool his burning tongue. And Abraham, the father, if you would, said to him, we can't come over there even if we wanted to. Because in verse 26 of chapter 16 of Luke, it says, Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may be able to cross from there to us. Now, that's the only verse that I know of in all of the scriptures that talks about this chasm, this divide that cannot be crossed. But I believe that it is a true, real thing. It may not be a physical chasm, but I believe there is indeed a barrier that there is no way that people who are in hell can ever get into heaven. And there's no way that those of us who would be in heaven could ever get to those that are in hell. It has, it's a permanent separation. So then, in this artist's interpretation, I see him bringing it into our everyday life, this chasm, and then it becomes a narrowing and a, and a shallowing, and it finally comes back to the flat land. And as I, as I meditated on that, I thought, what was this artist trying to say? I understand that there's this chasm that separates heaven and hell, but he's saying that this chasm is, is in present day. It's in the life that I'm walking right now. There is some barrier between heaven and earth. Let me, let me process through my thinking, and if there's time, we'll, we'll let questions come up. We may be doing an evening discussion on this, depending on how you guys respond. I went through the scriptures, and, and it's hard to see on your copy, but the artist that drew this has scripture references identifying various parts of this picture. And I went through those. So let me read you some of them. And these are, this is all part of how I process this week. Ezekiel 33.11 says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But I desire that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? So Ezekiel, the prophet, is telling us that it is not God's desire, God's will, that anyone, including the wicked, should die. Should be eternally separated from God. That's not his will. That's not his desire. And for those who didn't want to know where Ezekiel 30, 33 is, it's right here. Right by this first bridge that's going over the chasm. And so I see that as there's this chasm beginning to develop, 
a, a divide, a separation between the people that are on the path of life and the people that are on the path to death. There's still a bridge that God has provided over the chasm going, I desire, I desire you. Please respond to me. I love you. Don't walk in a pathway of death and destruction. I'm offering to you life. Come. You see, Luke chapter 19 tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you look at the big picture on your thing, there's this, the one thing I don't like about this picture is that there seems to be a finality to the Matthew 7, 13, and 14 thing. Once you enter whichever gate you're on, that's the pathway you're on, and you're on your way to death, or you're on your way to heaven. And I never liked the way that that was drawn, because it seemed like I make a mistake early on and I'm doomed. But as I've meditated on this, as this separation begins between life and death, and this divide begins to expand and get deeper and make it harder, there's still opportunities I see that God is offering for people to make a change. Notice along the pathway, the wide path, notice that there's breaks in the barrier that opens onto the green pasture. John 3.16 through 21 is shown on here only as John 3.16, but I want to read you these six verses. Listen to them. You've heard them so many times, but listen to them. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people of the world loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light because they don't want to come into the light unless their works might be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And you see, that's what I see happening in this picture. There are people who are continually being wooed by the Father. Come to me. I love you. I desire you. And it's not just a one-time deal. They're walking this path of life that's leading them towards destruction. And throughout the walk, God the Father is drawing and wooing and calling to them and saying, Come over. Do not continue on that path that leads to death. But the problem with this, the longer they refuse to listen is the chasm is getting wider and deeper and more difficult to get across. It's not God who's causing the problem. It's not God who's barring the way. It's the person's own selfish willfulness refusing to respond to the wooing of God himself. Walking further and further and further into a path of death and destruction. The word of God literally tells us in Hebrews that there can come a point 
where a human heart will become so hardened, so calloused, that they can no longer hear this wooing of the Father. And that's why I see that the bridges stop going across the chasm. Not because God refused to put any more bridges out there and you got past the last one, oh, bad, oh well, too bad, so sad, but because it's already too late. Your heart is so hardened, those who walk this path of death and destruction and continually stopping their ears so they don't hear the word of God, so they refuse to listen to the drawing of the Holy Spirit to the point where they can no longer hear. Not because God doesn't desire them, not because God doesn't continue to woo them, but they refuse. I am working with a family, not part of this congregation, who are struggling in their marriage. And I am meeting with them in town. They're from town. They're not from the Two Rivers area at all. It's nobody that you know. If, if you know them, I'd be very surprised. This couple is literally, I believe, at the last bridge that's crossing over the chasm when it comes to their marriage relationship. If they don't walk across this bridge to each other, I believe this will probably be the end of their marriage and they, they will go their separate ways. I think it's that far along in the, the depth of pain that they have. But in order for healing and reconciliation to take place in their marriage, there has to be a willingness of both partners to step onto that bridge and meet each other. And if they refuse and continue walking their own selfish, angry way, their relationship will ultimately die and they will no longer experience the joy that they could have had as a married couple. That same thing is what the artist is drawing here in relation to God and each human being. God is never going to say, I don't want to be in relationship. But it takes the other person, the human being, to respond to the wooing and the drawing of love. And if they don't, and they walk past to the point of no return, then there is no hope for them. But the joy is that in Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks about a scenario, and we don't think it's a true scenario, we think it's just a story he made up to make a point, but it's a story about a father who has two sons, and one son demands his inheritance and goes off and lives his life however he chooses, and then it says in verse 18, he came to his senses, and if you look over here on the picture, it's on your screen, right over here, up against the fence, as close to the, to the going into the path of destruction as the young man could get, as far away from God as he could, and almost beyond the last bridge over the chasm. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I know that I can't be a son anymore. I know that I've broken all relationship with you, but could you please just rescue me from this life of death? I'll do anything. I'll be the lowest servant in your house, but I just can't live this way anymore. Would you please take me back? I'll do anything. And what does it say? It says in verse 20 of that same chapter, Luke 15, that he arose and he came to the Father, but while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and ran to him and hugged his neck and declared to him, You are my son, my beloved son, and I will welcome you back into my house. And he gave him a brand new set of clothing. And he gave him a ring. And he gave him back his inheritance. He said, all that I have is yours. And I've been preparing a fatted cow so that I can celebrate whenever there's a chance to celebrate. Well, today's the day. Because you came back. You see, if the sinner will turn from their sin, God the Father will never reject them. But it takes the turning. God always woos. God always desires. God always is calling and saying, please come. Come back. But it takes a turning. A repenting from the choices that I've made, the way that I've lived my life selfishly, over and over again, spurning. The love that's being offered to me. And the danger is, folks, the longer the person walks in selfishness and rebellion against the love of God, the greater the, the, the chances that they will never be able to respond. And they will end up in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. All are invited to the party, but all must dress for the party. And if you don't dress for the party with the clothes that are provided to you by the Father, you have no place in the party. That's what I've studied all week. That's the, I mean, it is the most basic of Christian stuff. God loves sinners. God provides a means for cleansing and making right that which was put wrong through my poor, selfish, willful choices. And all I have to do is turn and I'm back on the path to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life, and few there are who find it. Praise God! Hopefully all of you can raise your hands with me and say, I'm walking on that narrow path! Hallelujah! But what about all of the other people who are walking farther and farther away and they're in danger of that chasm getting so wide and so deep that they can never get back. What about them? Yeah, it's 
great that I get to go to the party. Yeah, it's great that I got the Holy Spirit right here with me, leading me into all truth, giving me power to live the life that God wants me to live. Yes, I can be blessed even on this earth. But what about the people that I love that are dying? What am I supposed to do? Because I can't make the choice for them. Paul himself said in the in book of Romans, you know, if I had the opportunity, I would die. I would go to hell and be eternally separated from God if I could ensure that by doing so, every one of my brothers in the, in the Israelite family would get to heaven. If I could know that by me dying and going to hell, everyone else of you gets to go, yeah, I'll be eternally separated from God just to know that you made it. That was the depth of his passion. The evangelistic passion that he had to see people get saved out of this path of death and destruction. Where are we? As I sit looking at this picture all week. Yay, I'm on the path of life. Yay, I got blessings. Yay, the Father loves me. But what about these people? And what I want to leave you with this morning, I don't want you to sound... I mean, be left on a negative note. I want you to think about this. 2 Corinthians 5.20. If you take nothing else, take this. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. We implore on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What I want you to walk out of here with this morning or this afternoon is this. I want you to take a moment, not long, because it won't take long if there really is somebody that you're burdened for. I want you to think about that one person right now, that one person that you know that is on the path of destruction, who's willfully in rebellion against the voice and the love of God, the wooing of God. Who is that person? Don't say their name, but think about them. And I want you now to spend the rest of this afternoon thinking about how you can intentionally be an ambassador of Christ to speak love into their life. To let them see your good works so that they are then reminded that there is a God in heaven and they can give that God glory. Who is it that God is calling you today to be an ambassador for? And how are you going to go about doing it? Let's pray.